reading uh, Psalms this morning. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been exposed to how the Psalms 22, 23, and 24 all uh, give a great uh, summary of the Lord's life. Psalms 22, of course, uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Talking about the uh, good shepherd uh, dying for uh, his sheep. In Psalm 22, uh, the shepherd taking care of us, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then Psalms 24, that wording is wording of the of the king as he came into Jerusalem to be established as king. And he had to come through the, the gates and, and actually uh, there was a choir there. One would sing one verse and then the other choir, other side of the choir would answer back, uh, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, the king of glory shall come in. And so it's talking about the king coming in, but this is a special king, the king of glory. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And so the one who died on the cross, the one who lives with us today and is our shepherd, is going to come back one day as the king, the great shepherd king of Israel and the world. All right. If you'll turn with me this morning to uh, Genesis chapter 3. And the 15th verse. Well, uh, let's begin, I guess, in, uh, in verse 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to me be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat, as though she poked it down. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so, in, uh, in, in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15, we have the very first prediction of the birth of Christ. This passage is known as the Pro-Evangelium, Evangel, 
to the gospel. The pro would mean the first gospel. And here in this time of year, as we focus on the birth of Christ, uh, we go back to the very beginning of the Bible, and we find it connected to Jesus Christ and his coming. Many wonder what uh, relationship does Genesis have with the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. But uh, this here, as I said, it gives us a hope. It's the first gospel hint. Uh, it's the good news. The, what's the good news? Well, when you get over to Luke, uh, it says, uh, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And then he makes that plain two verses later. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And so I think there's a lot that we can learn uh, this morning uh, about the birth of Christ as we go back to uh, Genesis and we go back and work through in the next couple of weeks just some different passages on Christ's birth. There, there are verses that we're going to look at uh, next four weeks, or I mean, four, yeah, four weeks. Uh, very familiar, and if we're not careful, they can become uh, too familiar in the sense of uh, we don't grasp the wonder of them and the great glory of them. And so I want you to think about this, this uh, day here that these words were spoken in a time and in the day of the worst uh, day of history. The fall of man. Romans speaks of it when it says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Death. Uh, just last week, my brother's mother-in-law died. We just had some information given to our church of some uh, young couple uh, back in the Midwest and Missouri area who uh, were in a fire. The husband was burnt, was killed. And she's uh, very close to death, maybe 50% chance. And there's nothing uh, exciting about death. And uh, this, is, this is a very, very, uh, when we come, you know, I think that when we come to certain passages of the Bible, uh, we ought to really uh, take some time and breathe in some air and uh, open up our minds, but 
Actually, this is a passage where we all should go back home and put on our mourning clothes. Because it is absolutely ever, every horrible event that's taking place in your life and in this world uh, comes from this passage and the events of this passage. The Lord, back in chapter 2 and verse 16, had commanded them not to eat of one kind of tree. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And so Adam and Eve were given richly all of the garden, <laughs> every plant that was there to enjoy, except for this one. A choice was placed before Adam. Adam was not a robot. Adam had a free will. He had a choice. He was a moral being. He had the ability to choose or not to choose. And it was a test. You see, uh, God could have said he could have made Adam to where he would never have sinned, uh, but he wouldn't have been any more than a robotic person. And so he's, uh, he sins. It's inexcusable. He, uh, he already knew what was good because when the Lord finished his creation, he looked up on all that he had created and he pronounced it to be good. And so uh, the knowledge of good and evil, uh, he didn't really need to have. It was uh, the bottom line about what Adam did here, and we know that the New Testament squarely places it at Adam's feet that the woman is deceived. But Adam willfully and knowingly, knowing what God said, uh, disobeyed. There's, his actions were inexcusable. And as a result of that, the, the Lord said here that, that if, they, if they ate of that, uh, they would surely die. Uh, thou shalt surely die there, the last part of verse 17. And so uh, what, what did that involve? The results of the fall. Spiritual death. You see there in chapter 3 and verse 9, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Um, when we talk about death, we need to understand that death uh, is not the ceasing of existence. Death is not, uh, you know, dust to dust going back to the ground. There's much more to it than that. The death is, is a separation. And here, always before, God had come down, and uh, we don't know how long of time period that was, but we do know that God had fellowship with Adam and Eve uh, on a continual basis. And then one day he comes, and uh, they're, they're not there. They're hiding. And, of course, God, who knows everything, knew what had happened. But he asked Adam, where art thou, to, to, uh, to probe his consciousness, to deal with him. And, 
and I don't know if we're going to get through this today or not, uh, but we find something very interesting in the first chapters of Genesis, and that is God always takes the initiative. And he sought out for Adam. And he, and, he, and he gives some probing questions as we're coming underneath conviction. Probing questions come to our life that, that through God's word, he probes our consciousness. And here he probes Adam's conscience by saying, where art thou? We know that he's, uh, he's uh, under conviction. Uh, the Bible says that, that the eyes of them both were open there in, uh, in uh, the fifth verse of chapter 3. For God doth know that in the day that thou eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. Adam knew good, but now he, ha he knows evil. He knows both good and both evil, but as we've said before, it was an evil that he couldn't escape and a good that he couldn't obtain. Paul writes, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not, for the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. And we find there in verse 7 as a result of that in chapter 3, a result of this fall, and the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Uh, and so, uh, something is lost here. Something wonderful is lost. No fellowship with God. Instead of anticipating God coming in the sweet fellowship they could have now, they want to escape him. Now they want to flee from him. And we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't be surprised when we give people the gospel that they want to get out of our presence because, it, because uh, it's confronting them uh, with the Lord. And uh, some have wondered, uh, you can read and get your own conclusion, but when they realized that they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons, I think at least a part of that would be that they understood the procreative organs that God had given them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. They knew, they knew uh, how that was to come about. And I think that there's a shame in realizing that they have introduced sin into the world and horror into the world. And so there's spiritual death. And then you're going to see also that there was physical death there in verse 19. And when he says, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. That you're going to return to the dirt. Uh, a prophecy or an indication of 
not only spiritual death, but uh, physical death. And then, not only those two things, but but even more uh, horrible, uh, horrible, even more uh, atrocious. I don't know how to, what kind of word, but when Adam sinned, we are marked by depravity. That we are um, affected, that we come into the world sinners by nature. And every part of our life has been touched by Adam's fall. When we talk about total depravity, uh, total depravity does not mean that one is as mean as Satan, nor that he is as corrupt as he might be. It means that when man fell, the whole man fell, that no part of the man escaped the fall. It means that a man is depraved in total, the whole man. It's a question of extent rather than one of degree. And so my thinking has been affected by the fall. My actions have been affected by the fall. If you go with me over to Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, and look there in verse 12. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, where is that guy at? I mean, who's he talking about? Where, where do we find that guy? Well, he's sitting in the chair that you're sitting in. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues. And so he starts at the head. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of the ass was under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. And their and their feet are swift to shed blood. And so he's went from the head down to the feet. Destruction and misery in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. And so from the top of their head down to the bottom where their feet are, they've been corrupted. <clears throat> so let me see. His heart and mind are corrupted. And God saw 
The wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That the thinking was corrupted. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. My ability to understand and reason has been uh, corrupted. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. That uh, understanding darkened. It just means that... uh, that our, our minds are blinded. It's not like you think it is. That my, you know, when we go downtown, we ask people, do you consider yourself to be a good person? And they'll say, yeah, I consider myself to be a good person. How can they say that? How could we say that at one time in our life? Because our minds were darkened. And we need the glorious gospel, the light of the glorious gospel, to enlighten our mind. That no man is going to seek God in and of himself. That, that, that I, I, I'm, uh, I don't know how to express how horrible this day was in Genesis chapter 3. And no wonder they went and hid. They didn't even, they didn't even comprehend. And when it talks about understanding being darkened, it's something that's happened to us. It's in the passive voice. It's in the present tense, which means it goes on forever. And then it says there, being alienated. Aliens. It's a change from a previous relationship. They're estranged from God. They are at a great distance from God. And again, that's in the perfect tense, which means it doesn't change. And the blindness of their heart, because of the blindness of their heart. And that's an interesting word because it, 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 it implies not only, you know, not being able to see, uh, but it, it implies a hardness. It's a, it's a use of the word that describes a, a callus, where a callus is really takes away feeling. Uh, their very, uh, their discernment, their perception. And so their understanding is darkened. You see, uh, if people, if people understood their real condition, our church would be full this morning. They don't. They're ignorant. They're depraved. The fall of man has created uh, people to be this way, and sometimes we get frustrated with people, and we get frustrated with politics, and we get frustrated with you know events that are going contrary to the Bible. But the, the, the bottom line is, it all goes back 
to Genesis chapter 2 and 3. That they're doing what is their nature to do. And so they, they want to say, I'm okay. Or they want to say, well, God will understand. God's a loving God. I expect to go to heaven. Uh, but they're in the dark. We're ignorant about spiritual things. Our hearts are blinded. And they're so blinded that, uh, you know, they're so blinded to their actual condition that if you look there over back in, uh, in Genesis again in chapter 3 and verse 12, they're so blinded to their condition that, that uh, their problems is God's fault. It's God's fault. And that's what he says here. And the man said, The woman that thou gavest to thee with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Lord, if you just wouldn't have gave me this woman, I wouldn't have done it. And uh, if there's any husband here using that excuse, uh, let me tell you that it's related to Adam one who brought sin into the world. Don't use that excuse. Adam is blaming Eve and Adam in a sense is blaming God. And so <clears throat> their understanding is corrupted. Their heart and mind is corrupted. Their conscience is corrupted. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and their conscience is defiled. You know, let your conscience be your guide. Better not. And man is so depraved in his nature that he won't seek after God. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. The wicked, through the pride of, the count, of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. You see, thoughts concerning God are not spawned in the heart of man. You may see create, you know, you may see some, uh, you know, snow-capped mountain or some beautiful thing and think about that there is a creator, but it's, uh, <laughs> you know, that goes back to Psalms 19, doesn't it? That, uh, that the creation yells out about God. And so, thoughts concerning our sinfulness don't come out of our own mind, and thoughts concerning our guilt and accountability. It brought not only effect of our conscience and, and all of these parts of the life, but the effects of the fall brought spiritual death, physical death, total depravity. It brought a bondage to sin that, that we're bound 
And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the Bible says all of us have sinned. James says, But every man is tempted when he's drawn away from his own lust and enticed, and when, he is, when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. David said, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and sinned, and my mother conceived me. And so I brought bondage to sin. This, brought, this day brought sorrow and suffering and God's curse. As he said, the day you eat of it, you're going to surely die. And he, he cursed the ground and he, he cursed the woman. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception and sorrow so thou bring forth children. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto that Adam, he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree for which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. To the woman, in sorrow you shall have children. To the man, in sorrow all the days of your life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And so uh, a catastrophe has taken place. We're in a terrible position without hope and separated from God. That's where Adam and Eve are standing at this moment. That's their future. But in the darkest hour, God lets the brightest light shine. And he says in verse 15, And I will put enmity between thee, he's talking to the serpent, and uh, we know that this serpent was used by Satan, we don't really understand a lot about this serpent. We know that he could, he could understand, understand uh, right and wrong. He could understand communication, how much animals fell in the fall. We have no idea. But here this creature being used by Satan and God addressing the serpent and we find later on in the Bible references how that Satan is referred to as that old serpent and so he's addressing Satan the one who drew a third of the angels with him in rebellion he says I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, there's really a, a couple of things going on here. We know that the, the word seed can imply plural or singular.
Did you, did you plant the carrot seed? And you would know that uh, you, the question isn't that you're going to take one seed out there uh, and plant it, uh, but you would plant the packet. But also, seed is singular. And so, when he says, between thy seed and her seed, in a very broad sense, he's talking about those that are all of mankind and those that are underneath the influence of Satan and those that are underneath the influence of the woman and, and her offspring. I, that there is a spiritual side to this seed of being godly and being ungodly. And that war is going on constantly. It, 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 from, the, from this time forward, Satan's always going to be resisting a godly seed. And God has promised down throughout time, we see it through uh, Seth and, and different ones, and we see the, the kind of two different seeds all throughout the Bible from the very beginning, those who oppose God and those who uh, cooperate with God and love God and have been changed and saved by God. And so that's going to happen. That There's going to constantly be a warfare between God and God's children and Satan and Satan's children. And we find, uh, he says in John, Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would have loved me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. And sometimes we have a, a hard time explaining that when it says ye of your father the devil. But what we say, we're not saying that, <laughs> you know, that my, my father was the devil. Uh, or a demon, but what we're saying is that there's a spiritual side to us that is controlled by the devil. That when we are without God in this world, we are in a, in, in a camp, in a family, that is, a, is satanic. In Ephesians 2, he says, Where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And so he said, before you were saved, you're just going to the course of this world. You're walking as a children of disobedience, among whom also we had our lifestyle, our conversation. And we were here, fulfilling the lust of the flesh and desires of the flesh and mind. And by nature, the children of wrath. And so... Uh, we are either in the kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of God. Now look over in uh, Colossians chapter 1. Look there in verse 13.
Colossians 1.13. Well, look in verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us met to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us in the kingdom of his dear son. Without Genesis 3.15, our destiny, our existence in our destiny would be the domain of darkness. Which, which ends, that king, you know how that kingdom ends? It ends with wailing and gnashing of teeth. Um, just read the paper and see all the horrible things that are happening in this world. The murders, the deaths, the ungodly things, and know that uh, it springs from Genesis and that there's two camps of people today, two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of Satan and darkness and there's a kingdom of light and Christ. And so that, that is seed, uh, plural, but he says, but I will put enmity between thy seed and her seed, which we've just addressed. But, but it, it can't just be that, because look what it says there again in Genesis 3 and verse 15. And I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy heel. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise thy heel. And so, when it says it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise thy heel, it comes down to uh, it comes down not to the plural, but to the singular. There's a seed that's going to come from the woman, and this woman seems to, in the future, represent the nation of Israel, but there's a a seed that's going to come and that seed is going to bruise the head of Satan and Satan is going to bruise his heel. Look over in Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of, verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, 
was money to put it away privately. Over and over, in, in the Old Testament, not so much in the New Testament, but we find that the Bible would say stuff like, uh, it would say stuff like, the, the, seed, the seed of David, or the seed of Abraham, And it was always in reference to the male sperm fertilizing the female egg. There's never been a case where a woman is said to have her own seed, except in the virgin birth, that the thing that was born within her is of the Holy Ghost. And I've taught a little bit about how that that, that was a, a special ex nihilo creation when Mary was given within her womb Christ. Bruise. What does that mean? Well, that word bruise means to break. It also means to be broken to shivers. Revelation says, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter shall be broken to shivers. That's this word bruise. He shall bruise thy head, and Satan's going to bruise his heel. Jesus was affected greatly when he was tempted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. He was bruised. His heel was bruised. Not a debilitating blow. Satan bruised his heel when he raised up strong persecution against Jesus in his public ministry. In the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is praying and sweating, as it were, great drops of blood, he's being affected. He's being bruised. What a what a heartache uh, personally in, in the human aspect of Jesus Christ when this man he'd spent three and a half years with betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. He was bruised. He was bruised when they nailed him to uh, the cross and he cried out my God my God why hast thou forsaken me
But uh, Jesus wasn't done. They put him in the tomb. Perhaps Satan in his ignorance, not knowing, being all-knowing as God is, maybe he was having a party in his kingdom. But uh, know this, that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. And though other people are going to be in that kingdom and they'll be in that place of a surety, Satan will be there. And all these fallen angels. Look over in Colossians chapter 2. What I'm saying is, as this is a prediction that there's going to be a seed from a female, a virgin, that's going to, he's going to smash the shiverines, he's going to smash Satan's head. An overcoming blow. And uh, Colossians chapter 3, I'll put in between thee and the woman. Eve is the mother of all living. That's interesting. In verse 20, he named Eve, and it, and it calls her the mother of all living. Why didn't they call Eve the mother of all dying? Because there's going to be hope found within the seed of a woman. He tried to destroy the nation of Israel. He's tried to destroy Christ. He's tried to destroy the Lord's churches. But God's promise is between thy seed and her seed, the spiritual seed of Satan would constantly oppose the spiritual seed of God. But the narrow meaning is the seed, Satan's seed, he's the son of perdition. The woman's seed, Virgin Mary, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. It means to break in pieces, to shiver, to tread down, to put Satan underfoot as a conqueror, to break down, to crush, to tear one's body and shatter one's strength. Such a bruise to the head would be deadly but not so a bruise to the heel. And look what it says here in, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting and the ordinances that were against us and contrary to us, knowing it to the cross. And so all of, the, all of our sins that were listed, he blots them out. He said, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances against us. And so there's, there was a record. There was a record of uh, pages and pages and pages of sinful behavior. And 
God doesn't, when it talks about blotting them out, it, do, it doesn't mean that God comes along and, you know, there's a, a murder or there's a adultery, all the different sins. It doesn't mean that God came along when he blotted them out. He went like that and went like that. And, on my, and when, when he comes to my life, there's, you know, thousands Thousands of pages of sin that's been blotted out. That's not what we use an ink blotter in that way, we, in the sense of blotting something out. We just blot it out. Well, I mean, what, what, what shame it would be for me that when that would be able to be exposed, there's a thousand pages of sin and it's all blackened out. That's not what God does. That's not the meaning of that word. Because of Jesus Christ, because of the seed of the woman, all of it is going to be blotted out. And then when he talks about, uh, when he talks about in that verse, when he, when he says in verse 14 of chapter 2 again, uh, uh, the ordinance that was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, uh, it, Perhaps it means this, but what they were used to do, uh, and it may be this meaning, but you're, you're a, a guy, when he owed a bill, the, and he wasn't paying his bill in the place of business, sometimes you see that even today, with bad checks and stuff, he would, he would put it right up where everybody would see it. And when people come by and say, oh, Humphrey hadn't paid his bill, has he? That's come back. But it's, when it says... Uh, nailing it to the cross, often what they would do when the payment was made, then they would fold it over and nail it, and there's no more visible uh, the debt. And so he, he's, he's trying to he's trying to convey to us, yes, what happened in in Genesis chapter two and three is devastating. It's horrible. But what happened at the cross is glorious. And he says, uh, and having spoiled, and blotting out the handwriting of the ordinance, contrary to us, and nailed it to the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And we'll, we'll have to quit here probably, but uh, triumphing over them in it. When, when, when the uh, Roman general would go out and conquer a land, let's say he went from Rome over to Gaul, which would be France, and he conquered some kingdoms in Gaul, he would take <coughs> the king and the leaders of the country and they bring them back to Rome. And in, in Rome, in the city of Rome, there's a big arch still there today called the Arch of Triumph. And what they would do, they would give a celebration day to, to the uh, general. And at the beginning of the parade, some of his soldiers would lead the parade 
in the middle of the parade, there'd be some booty that they had conquered and claimed. There'd be the leaders of that country. And those leaders would be stripped completely naked, making a show of them, triumphing over them, that those, those leaders would have no clothes on. They'd have no power. There's no authority. There's no royalty about them anymore. They have been devastated. They have been conquered. And then the general's in the middle. And then his army follows some more of his army. He has triumphed. And because God's plan was that Satan would not dominate, Satan would not rule, that that there's going to be a seed of the woman who's going to bruise him, bruise his head, conquer him. And you see, you got to understand today that Satan is just on a short lease, leash, uh, and he only can do what God allows him to do. But one of these days, he's going to be put where he belongs. And uh, we have given to us way early in the writing of the Bible, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior. But we're affected in all points, in all of our lives by the fall. We have a Savior. And because of that, we're more than conquerors through him. And Jesus Christ has triumphed. All right? That's the message of Christmas. Not just, not just gold and myrrh and frankincense, but there's much more. The message of Christmas is we have a Savior who is Christ, the head of Satan. All right, I'm over time. You're free to go.